Welcome to Paddy Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable to a performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. I played the Seed 2 Pro Plus, which is geared for lower spin from the driver, a lower kind of ball flight, more run out, and gives me an extra check and control around the greens. While I might be out of control, the ball certainly isn't. So it's perfect for the Lynx Golf I'm accustomed to. Before we get stuck into this podcast, if you can all do one well, let's do two things, will it be, folks? Can we all leave a review? Wherever you listen to this podcast, leave a review. Give me some feedback when you think of the episode. Five stars if you can. Maybe not one. I think they're at least worth four. The second thing is, if you can go to at the golf house, so that's the golf HSE, we're looking to create a community over there. Have fun. And in time, when we're all out of isolation, set up some workshops, golf days, events, sell some gear. We want to grow the game, introduce new people, young kids people of all abilities and disabilities to the game and in time build a world-class facility so if you want to learn more about that head over to instagram twitter facebook at the golf hse tag your friends in the comments in the posts share it in the whatsapp groups let's build this community together now this is the part of the podcast before the fancy intro music where i tell you it's on the show and i'm very happy to tell you that on this week's episode it's chris selfridge and we chat about life on tour, being a professional golfer, and his transition to now being a caddy. Just one quick final call to action before we get stuck in with our guest this week is to head over to paddygolf.com. So join the time sheet over there. Once we get to like 500 people on that list, we will start giving away free stuff. So it's like free money, people. Why wouldn't you join the time sheet? Now, roll it there, Colette. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What did he get at? Donald Donovan is the left corner back. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Oh, holy Moses. It's all on this. Round and over. Oh, what a finish. Well, here it comes. Oh, wow. In your life, have you seen anything? Welcome to this week's episode. We have a man um, who actually went under my radar back when I was looking at amateur golf a few years ago. Um, shame on me. But um, was a top-ranked amateur in Ireland, played for Ireland for numerous years, played in the States in a golf program um, in, in, in college, went professional from 2015 to 2018, got injured, quit, and is now back on the, back on the links as a, as a caddy. Chris Selfridge, welcome to the show, my man. How you doing? You're from Myola, so can you tell the, the few listeners that do press play where Myola is? Myola is in County Derry. It's about 45 minutes outside of Belfast. So pretty centrally located up in the north here. Very good. So what's the nearest golf club to you? Where, where would you have played your golf growing up? Uh, well, Myola Park. Um, the nearest golf course to me now would be Fort William. I live just outside Belfast. I live uh, about 35, 40 minutes from Myola, but uh, definitely don't play enough golf anymore, unfortunately. But trying to get out a bit more now. Oh, very good. So um, you're never listening to the podcast, so thank you very much for pressing play yourself. So you kind of yes, you kind of no know problem. how this one you kind of know how this one goes. So like, first question generally is, what is your earliest golfing memory, Chris Selfridge? Earliest golfing memory. Um, I grew up near a football pitch, so football is my first love. Um, but growing up with a football pitch, we had a few golf clubs and we were hitting the balls around the football pitch. Um, 
actually lived very close to a guy called Luke Lennox, who played for the Irish men's team for a few years as well back in the day. He's in his early 30s now, I believe. So I would have grew up with him whenever I was, you know, seven or eight and he was about 10. We would have been hitting the ball around the football pitch and stuff. And it's funny how through the years we just sort of traveled together and stayed friendly and ended up both being quite good. So. No, yeah, smashing. So, so when, when, how old would you have been when you first picked up a golf club then? Six or seven. Right, you know, I can then, remember, I mean, you know. Who, who did you pick it up with? Was it a dad? Was it a friend? Was it Luke? Was it? Um, well, my dad played, uh, he played to a decent level. Um, I think he got down to maybe like a two or three handicap um, a long time ago before I was born. So he like, would have played in the north of Ireland, for example. But um, he quit whenever I was born. Um, not sure why or what happened, but he, he sort of stopped playing. And then he, he always had a bit of an interest. You know, I sort of remember him playing maybe the odd game of golf whenever I was very young. And I, I really don't know, but I would imagine he bought me my first golf club. So his influence must have, must have been part of the reason I started playing. So by the time you were about 12, 13, you got down to four. So it yes. was it around that time that kind of golf took over and, and football went to one side, was it? Or was there other sports yeah. that kind of competed well, with was, golf? There was always other sports for me. I played a lot of sport. You know, I played football, soccer at a high level, and then also played GAA at a high level and played for the school and always did all of But by the time I got to age 13, I suppose you could say I was a, golf was a sport I was best at, but I was still playing everything else. You know, I was a sportaholic if that's a word or if that makes any sense but <laughs> you know what I mean anyway no of course so between um I suppose being off a four handicap to to representing um the Ireland of Ireland what I suppose were the the stages that you went through to become one of the top amateurs was there any I suppose defining moments between being a good club golfer to becoming a, an elite amateur um you're saying defining moment, that's difficult to pinpoint one particular moment, but I grew up in an environment that was very competitive. You know, there was good juniors. Uh, I think there was at one stage our Fred Daly team had three guys that played for the Irish boys team. You know, so it was myself, uh, Luke Lennox and Paul O'Kane. So when you have three guys in one Fred Daly team that are all playing for the under 18 home internationals team, you sort of spur each other on and you're always competing and Obviously, traveling to tournaments was a lot easier because you could share lifts. And I mean, I guess it's the ideal performance environment, isn't it? But you know, back in those days, I wasn't really thinking that way. We were just kind of playing golf, weren't we? No, definitely. It's kind of reminds me of the chat I had with Tyke Harrington in season one when he's basically saying he's the reason for Padraig's um, <laughs> success is because Padraig yeah. had like five brothers all off four. So Padraig had to compete in order to beat his brother. So it's kind of the same kind of yeah. Fred Daly environment. Yeah. Was that was that at Moyola then? Yeah, Moyola Golf Club. Yeah, Moyola. Yeah, Moyola. Um, we never managed to actually win the Fred Daly, unfortunately. I think we can blame the guys at the back end of the team. But um, <laughs> something you and I both have in common. Then neither of us won the Fred Daly. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. So, so <laughs> you <laughs> you have a couple of um, amateur majors under the belt. Um, Irish Close Champion and East of Ireland Champion 2012, and back to back North of Ireland Amateur Championships. 2013 and 14 so um, that kind of coincided with your spell in the States is that right? Yeah so I started in the States in 2011 um, August 2011 so I won a couple of them 
my first summer when I was back. And then I won one each summer after that, which was the North. So yeah, that um, America seemed to work quite well for me. So 2011, you moved to the States. What was the, the reasoning behind going to the States for, was it from an academic point of view or was it from a golfing point of view? Uh, well, the, the golf, um, obviously academics were something you just have to do, you know? Um, so you just combine them both. It was a good opportunity to go. I always went with the mindset that look, a lot of people, it's not for them. If I go and I don't like it, I can come home after a month, two months, six weeks, one year, who cares? But if I don't go, I'll never know. So oh, I exactly. thought, right, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this and had plenty of doubts, thought about quitting after six months, after a year, but ended up staying four years and getting my degree, having a great time, great life experience and getting better at golf at the same time. So it all worked out very well. No, I think everybody has those moments in first year or nearly every year in college. I know I had them doing engineering. It was like after six months, yeah. geez, I don't know about this. And then after two years, you're like, oh, the people in arts are having a holy show of a time. I'm here doing 35-hour weeks. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't just that. But moving to the States, move, sorry, moving to the States, um, what were your expectations going out there from the, which college was it? The University of Toledo. Okay. So they'd had, they'd had a lot of Irish uh, people in the past. So that was the initial attraction. The coach sort of followed Irish golf, you know, because he'd recruited Irish players before. So he sort of gotcha. knew and the boys' teams and that. So, yeah. So I suppose, would they have, would you have come across their radar um, around our CAO time or would it have been earlier than that? That uh, they would so have been in touch with you or? So it would have been playing, you know, boys' home internationals, boys' Europeans and that in 2008, 2009, 2010. And speaking yeah. to lots, lots of coaches here, there and everywhere. But you're 16, you don't know what's going on. Looking back, you think you know it all, but you know absolutely nothing. So I remember speaking to the Toledo coach at British Boys, and it, he was just a nice guy. And, you know, he was chatting about mutual interests and Irish guys like Ricky Elliott, for example, who caddies for Brooks Kepka now. That's um, right. So we just sort of had a bond straight away because Americans can be a bit funny at times, you know, but he was kind of like a very Irish American so he was you know good crack to get along with so one thing led to another a couple of emails and he invited me to come over on a recruiting trip and at that stage it was like well free trip to America sign me up so yeah, why, why wouldn't and, you go <laughs> yeah it's exactly everything paid for so off I went um spent a few days over there seeing the place and that changed you know seeing the facilities in course was US open venue indoor golf center on campus everything was like, well, it's either this or Queen's University. So off I went to the States. No, I did, right. Um, so you were, what, you were 16, 17, going out to the States. What were you, what was uh, your expectations 18. going out there? Oh, 18, sorry. Okay. Yeah, 18. So what, what, I'm asking these questions, I suppose, for any would-be 16, 17, 18-year-olds who might be in a similar position to you or a scratch golfer and they're looking stateside. I know a couple of friends of mine are. Um so yeah. I'm just trying to give them a bit of an insight into what life is like in a collegiate golf program out there. What, what would have been your expectations uh, of year one? And I suppose looking back on your time, four years, and winning majors over here in Ireland, um, attributable, attributable, that's a tough word, um, to your time in the States. Um, can you give us some insight into that? So like your expectations of it and then reflections of it. So my expectations were going over to play a lot of golf. 
um, as you would expect with a golf scholarship. Now that did happen, but what actually happened was you had to do a lot of other things too. You had to be in class a lot. You had to get up at half five in the morning to go to the gym for team workouts. You had loads of other commitments. So, you know, it's all of a sudden it's like your actual time commitment of stuff you had to do. Like you even had to go see like tutors for your classes and all that stuff as well, which you had to be like signed into a program. So like your committed hours a week were like 50, 60 hours by the time you did everything. So I think it sort of teaches you. Yeah, exactly. So it was a bit overwhelming at the start. Um, But I mean, you just, I guess it teaches you some sort of structure to your life, a bit of self-discipline. You you learn what hard work is. Now, I'm going to say that in the right sense, you're still only playing golf and going to class. It's not, you're not lifting bricks all day, but it definitely is a step up from, you know, being the normal 17, 18 year old who would, you know, go to school and play a bit of golf and kind of spend half their life on their phone. It was a bit different, you know. No, a little bit. Um, so what was it like then coming back for the summers and then playing in the amateur events here? Was there, was the transi- how was the transition for you from playing you know, highly manicured golf stateside to back into Lynx golf over here? I mean, a little bit of a transition. Um, I mean, not much different. I, I don't ever recall playing in extremely windy weather. You know, I, I think when I won the close, there was a heat wave and you know, just, uh, I mean, obviously a slight transition, you know, the, the way the ball bounces and stuff, but nothing really to note. I think, I think that stuff's exaggerated, you know, and end of the day, you just play golf, don't you? And if, no, fair enough if it's rain and windy and stuff, but you get lots of wind in America too. So you just, you just sort of adapt, don't you? No, you do. And um, I'll move on to the, the pro career in a second, but just one quick point to cover is because I saw it in an article from a couple of years ago was you spent eight years being supported by the GOI uh, what was that like in terms of or like the support that they would give you either from a, a regional boys to men's team setup to right through to during college? Well, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, so I played, started off in 2008 playing boys homes and Euros and then would have played Euros right to the end of my under 18 years along with the homes and then in men's played, my last homes was 2014. So yeah, I was around for a long time actually. <laughs> it's actually I'm sitting here thinking geez was it really that long because it seemed to fly um it was you're consistent you know, for a long time is the way to look at that you're consistent for a long time well yeah I'll, t- I'll take your word for that because I think a lot of my results would say the opposite of consistency <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah it was it was fantastic you know even that you think about some of the trips we went on like South Africa a few times I went to Peru just things that you just you just don't get to do in in the real world essentially and you know the amount if you think about eight years of investment GEI would have put and this doesn't even include the money I got from Team R by the way which is yet to come like mm. the investment of money and coaching and time it's it's amazing you know we're so grateful for that opportunity and it, to be honest I haven't really thought about it much until you've asked me this question and you look back on it going wow that was that's a long time you know. No, it's, it's I think surreal is the word but I might have to go to the TSRs to get the right one um, yeah. right so you came to the end of the collegiate career you had a good um, some good majors under your belt from an Irish amateur golfing sense what was I suppose was was there a compelling event around turning pro in 2015 like what was the thought no, process behind it uh, I always wanted 
look, well, I say I always wanted to turn pro. For a couple of years before I turned pro, I wanted to turn pro. I knew that was something I wanted to do, you know, after I'd won the cloaks and stuff, you know, two, three years before that. So I had prepared for turning pro. Everything was about turning pro. Um, people ask about the transition from amateur to pro. I seen myself as a professional amateur for a couple of years, so there was no transition. Yeah. The only the only thing was, luckily, I didn't have to go to lectures anymore. So it was actually very easy, you know. Um, there wasn't a defining moment. And I also just had, you know, I say this with the, the most respect ever, I just had no interest in playing Walker Cup. I just I just sort of thought, right, well, I have this opportunity to turn pro in May. All the management companies, you know, you're talking to all the management companies and stuff. Most yeah. people are hanging about. You know, I'm you're very highly ranked in the world and it's like do i want to spend another year of playing amateur golf all the links courses no disrespect to links golf i love it but if i turn pro in september i'm going to have limited starts straight into q school and then before you know it it's the next year and you, you don't know what situation you're in if you turn pro in may sort of the only sort of elite player turning pro at that time everyone's sort of sniffing around you management you have loads of opportunities to play ended up signing him a black star. They said to me, there's a challenge for your schedule. You pick what events you want to play. I was able to pick nine events because there was two in Ireland, guaranteed invites in the contract, a couple of European tour starts, and away we went. So to me, it was a no-brainer. No, it seems like a very logical decision. And, and when you look back, and it's quite a smart one when you see people, I suppose, turning pro late in the year, and then they might be putting themselves under pressure to perform quickly to avoid the whole tour. Q school. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I obviously you want to go to tour school, but it was sort of nice to. I went into tour school that year with already a challenge tour card locked up, so that you know helped. I suppose when you think back to it, that would have been what I was trying to achieve at the time. You know, so yeah, I, mission I, accomplished. Even, I, yeah. yeah, exactly. I I think it was a really good decision, and it it also paid off. Now, even if it hadn't paid off, I still think it was a good, smart, structured decision. So no, definitely, definitely. So can you, I suppose, um, walk me through the first year of, of turn pro and how that went? Because between turn and pro, I was at May and the end of the year, uh, pretty consistent. Twelve starts, um, worst finish was a was to the top fifty. Um, yeah. but the next couple of years were difficult. Can you can you walk me through that experience? Yeah, so turn pro, obviously excitement, all those things, you know, I've got my mate caddying for me, it's, you know, it's wonderful, we we do quite well, Um, a lot of solid golf, didn't miss any cuts, didn't really get in contention, well, you know, I, I led after halfway through round two and stuff like that, but contention being proper contention on Sunday, so never really got in contention or anything, just had a real good solid year, but obviously delighted with how I was playing. Um. And then at Q School that year, I had my first injury, but that was that was fine. And then it was actually the year after 2016 where I was a little bit more inconsistent, but my game was better in the sense that I was able to get in contention. I started to shoot more six, seven under rounds and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the first year was kind of different. I, I went in with the mindset probably of trying to do quite well without. You know, I wasn't focused on like winning and getting my European tour card. I was happy coming twentieth and fifteenth, and and then after you've done that for a little bit, you're like, right, well, what's next? So, yeah. yeah. So for you then, when you when you were kind of happy finishing top twenties, 
um, did you look to step it up then to 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 progress and and to compete or what was the mindset like? Well, I mean, you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and kind of just trying to get better and you know working hard in the gym, trying to gain a little bit of speed, trying to refine every way you can to get slightly better. And obviously, as you do that, things slip. You know, you're spinning plates constantly, aren't you? But um. Mm. There was a few miscuts. There was, there was plenty of rounds in the mid seventies which won't do it in pro golf in two thousand sixteen. But the good stuff was better, and I felt like the more complete player. You know, I led a lot and had a couple of top five finishes. And yeah, it was it was good. But then it was towards the end of that year where, where more injuries were happening. But twenty sixteen, I was a better player. You know, no doubt about it. Even though it wasn't as consistent. Okay, the injury it comes up a little bit. So were they all? Were, was it niggly stuff, or when you look yeah, back so at now, was was it? Could it have been preventative? Was it from too much playing, or? Uh, yeah, I I managed it poorly. Um, so I tore a ligament twenty fifteen. Look, it's it, it's terrible, but it happens. You know, you get on with it. And then I did it twice more at the end of twenty sixteen. Um, the second time being me mismanagement. Ross, you know rushing back too quickly for Kazakhstan Open and then doing yeah. it in the temple of round one just in the rough just chopping out just wasn't fully recovered but and it wasn't even that it was the tendonitis that came with it soon after you know it was um, it was you're constantly getting acupuncture and taking painkillers and you just can't practice properly you know everything's becoming so so demoralizing and then that 2017 was not great to say the least, but um, yeah, obviously having tendonitis was holding me back. So, and was that yeah, was that not, not a, a good short term moment. thing or a long term thing from from a tendonitis yeah, point of view? Is that still yeah, still around or? Still, oh yeah, I still have it, but um, obviously it doesn't affect me in daily life. You know, um, if I was hitting balls on the range for say anything more than ten or fifteen shots with an eight iron or anything that revolves speed on a divot at the same time there would be pain involved but whenever you was trying to play in 2017 it was like in pain practicing trying to play playing poorly seeing a physio getting acupuncture feeling horrendous after acupuncture in the evenings taking painkillers going to bed waking up feeling great because painkillers and acupuncture paid off at that stage yeah again and get to the golf course warm up try to play make it worse any practice you do make it worse Straight into physio, acupuncture, painkillers, repeat. So that's how life was for a year. But it wasn't very nice. No, no, and not doesn't sound very sustainable. So was that kind of the breaking no. point then? Was just injury, injury yeah, led well, led to quitting or or what? Yeah, injury led to well, I mean, I quit because I lost my challenge to a card. But um, yeah, injuries obviously held me back. I wasn't able to practice, and then I got into sort of a rut. Um. You know, you struggle mentally and physically. Um, obviously, missing cuts, thinking about cuts. I only made three cuts that year. And then, obviously, with that coming, you know, playing 20-something events, whatever, I played in money problems too. So, no, I didn't quit straight away. I did try to fix the issue and played a few events in early 2018. But, again, I pulled out several events injured. So, hmm. yeah, the, by the time I actually did quit, it was um, quite the relief, put it like that. So it, so it sounds like doom and gloom, but like it takes a strong person to, to kind of step up and realize and evaluate. So 
was was there someone standing beside you or yeah i had a good coaching team around me and stuff but um you know i I worked with johnny foster all my life and then even i'm still good friends with him but um i yeah had a good team around me even you know donald scott you had him in the podcast recently i always worked with him a putt and robbie cannon snc coach i had a really good team around me but it was just yeah. it's was just like a natural decline i was you know getting injured and it was it was just tough tough mentally as well you know because i was sort of i wanted to do well i wanted to win i wanted to get in the main tour and everything was hunky-dory and then a year later it's like i'm playing quite well here and i'm still missing cuts by one and two purely because yeah. I'm struggling to break par because I can't practice the way I want to. You can have a good attitude, you can have a decent short game, but you know, the power of prayer won't make you hit good shots whenever you haven't done the, the volume of work required to hit good shots. No, totally understandable. So that came about, it, was, it looks like it was what, about 18 months, 20 months of, of, of trying to work through it, came to a point and you were like, yeah, I've got to make a call here. Yeah, all of 2017 and then up till I think it was about June in 2018 when I finally sacked it in. I just played a couple of Euro Pro and a couple of Challenge during 2018, but I mean, that was, I was going through the motions. I was um, clutching at straws officially at that stage. But um, put it like this, by the time I finally quit, which I think in my last event, actually it was a Challenge Tour event in England, I actually went birdie birdie to make the cut. Yes. And was delighted, delighted on Friday to make the cut properly delighted and sort of thinking geez you know that's great and then um two or three hours later i missed the cup by one because the wind died and that was it clubs were in the flight bag flew home and didn't touch them for like four or five months Jeez. yeah but it was trust me it was a relief by that stage the tough part was 2017 that's fair no very very fair so what was next chris Transition into the real world, job interviews, presentations, all that good stuff, drinking too much coffee, pints after work, all the good stuff that comes with the real world. So I ended up going to work for Google Ads, uh, or sorry, selling Google Ads for Yale.com. Um, okay. So did that for five months, and that was, um, I guess the word I'll use to describe it is different. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, you're, you're not the boss anymore. I think yeah, exactly. Uh, my, yeah. <laughs> so, which that let's just say uh, it wasn't a, a very long career. It was about uh, four or five yeah. months, I think. Or yeah, um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it was just obviously it had its challenges and it was repetitive and you know all the things that come with you know I'm sure sure most people deal with this, but um, I you know it. I did love a lot of the things that came with it. I loved working in a team. There was like 20 of us in a team and obviously we had our own manager and all and our own structure and it was, you know, it was great crack. Now it was intense and it was hard work, but it was, it was a great crack. And it's funny, you know, I would, you're in such a sheltered world as a pro golfer. I remember like usually on a Thursday we'd go, go to the bar after, um, after work and I would have a Guinness and like by the time my Guinness is settled, the guys had already drank their pint because they only had like an hour until they had to be home to the wife and kids. And, yeah. and they'd have like four, four or five pints. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there and my Guinness hasn't even settled and it's time for the next round. So, No, I don't was, even uh, get the was, pint in. I'm straight home. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was just kind of surreal that we're going for a pint, but a pint was actually them guys necking four in one hour. And Thinkresponsibly.com or wherever it is. Um, yeah, exactly. But you're back on the links now in some form. Yes, so I'm back caddying. So, uh, How did that come I about? Go, because I caddied in Lynch yeah. for like six years and I made a decision on not taking a gap year and just um because you get loads like you get loads of pro golfers playing uh Le Hinch and yeah, that so you get loads yeah. of people or even in the states come over and carry here privately and you might get picked up for second tour so something i was offered and turned down and when you look back when you're 33 years of age um with a wife and a couple of kids you're like you know what i should have done that um yeah <laughs> so how, how did it come about for you so a good friend of mine michael hoey um he had a European tour status last year um, so he he was going to Australia for a couple of weeks in February and he was like well why don't you come and you know caddy for me slash holiday and I was like oh great and obviously I was keen to get out of the office in Belfast and it was like all right let's do this so we tried to get a couple of weeks off work I could get two weeks off but trying to I needed like two weeks and three days by the time you flew down there and flew back and you know all that so I was I was a struggle and then um finally decided right I'm, I'm gonna do this and went and did those two events for him and then ended up doing the rest of the year for him on um, on the European tour I think we did 17 or 18 events and then he did a couple of challenge tours as well and, and then I, I picked up a few other jobs along the way uh, Brian Casey qualified for the Irish Open so I did the Irish Open yeah. for him so he couldn't get in and then uh, Chan Kim I caddied for him at the Open at Port Rush an American guy and yeah, it's just sort of one thing led to another and I just really, really liked it and thought, I'll do this. This is better in the office. So, so no, that's that's unbelievable. So, like, what's – I always thought about – because my uh, version of kiting is very much, um, you know, stick the American with as much stick that they can get or take without it affecting the tip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a little bit different at European tour level. So can yeah, you give us a thought, maybe an insight into, you know, your preparation, how you prepare? And I suppose every player is different, but like maybe the, the general expectation of a caddy on tour. Yeah, well, every player is different. Now, obviously, I started out, um, I'm not, not working for Michael Howie anymore. I'm working for a Scottish guy now called Craig Howie. So, um, well, Michael, it was different, obviously, because he was a friend. So we'd take the same flight a lot of the time to events. And I'd get yeah. a lift with him if he was hiring a car and stuff like that. Sometimes we'd hire a house together. Now, we've never roomed together because that's too much time in someone's company. But if, you know, hire a house with four people, me and him would both be in it. So it was a little different with him. But um, first of all, being a caddy compared to being a player, we certainly have a lot of less adrenaline. It's, okay. um, you don't get as excited as you do as a player, that's for sure. Uh, practice days can be pretty long and tough. Typically, you want to see the golf course before you go out for your practice round. So, you know, if we get to the golf course, but again, with, you know, traveling the whole way, sometimes you weren't always able to do that. It might have only been nine holes or something. But okay. you want to make the practice round as productive as possible. So you want to see the golf course before they see it. So then you can guide them around the practice round. Because sometimes you only get 18 holes. You might get nine the next day if you're lucky because there's a pro-am or something going on. But you want to make those eighteen holes count, you know. Oh, definitely. So, I suppose you would have got the gig um, in Port Rush, given your experience there. 
um, and uh, you're caddying for Craig Howie now. So what's the outlook yes. for the year ahead? Uh, well, I don't know. Things have changed a lot. I know, yeah. Years. There's a reason we're doing this remotely, <laughs> isn't it? Huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, a lot of Challenge for events have got cancelled. So I, I don't really know. I'm speaking to him quite a lot. Um, I don't know when we'll be back in action. It's, look, it is what it is. You just have to get on with it, you know, safety first and all that. So we'll wait it out. And hopefully come July or August, things are back to normal. It's obviously going to be a short season. Craig got off to a good solid start in South Africa there last month. We were down there for a month or three and a half weeks or whatever. So, yeah, look, I don't know. If, if anyone knows the answer to what the challenge for schedule is, please let me know because it's all up in yeah. the air right now. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I'd seen Craig how you come across, you know, the Instagram feed or whatever else. And he seems to be a right, a sparkling young yeah, player. So yeah, he's, um, a, he's a great young player. Um, he'll do, he'll do very well. It was a friend that hooked us up, and it was kind of like if I wanted to go work on, if I wanted to do challenge for this year, you know, I, I wanted to get a real good young player who's going the right direction because, um, you know, Michael Ho, he's a, he's a a really good friend of mine I met him for breakfast this morning actually but he's kind of talking about retiring and the next step in his life and all this stuff getting a job for the tours of rules officials so he's going he's kind of um he doesn't even he even says to me himself that I should go caddy for somebody else so that's <laughs> I kind of knew <laughs> yeah he's he's a great guy like but he's <laughs> he's funny so um yeah, Craig's a very good player, um, and he—I'd be confident Craig will do really well the next. You know, you can't with golf. You can never say, "Oh, he's going to win this year," because you just don't know. But if Craig sticks at it for the next five, six years, he'll definitely do really well, and he'll get in the main server and he'll win all that good stuff. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, definitely. Well, definitely, given the experience you have, both good and bad, um, I think you've a lot to add in in his uh, rise to success as well. Um, yeah. Well. Hopefully, anyway. Oh, definitely. Right. This is this is the part of the show now that everybody actually tunes in for, which is the, I think it's because it's near the end. It's the quick fire Q&A. So, <laughs> Chris. Um, People listen to this. They can tell you they listen to the podcast. Then, yeah, exactly. I timestamp it in the show notes so people can just skip right to the end. Um, so, are you ready? Yeah. yeah first thing, first thing it, you yeah. think of. Right. Here we go. What would your walk-on song be? Um, Eminem till I collapse. Gym or pizza? Gym. Hat, visor, or a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat? Hat. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Wait till I get Keelan on here. It's, I don't slag him at all. I, just, I think he pulls it off really, really well. I'm only jealous. Um, Tell him that when he, when he is on, share short game secrets because I hear he's a very good short game that boy. Oh, fizzy nippers everywhere. I thought Gavin Moynihan was good. Yeah, exactly. Happy Gilmore or Tink Up? Happy Gilmore. Guinness or Heineken? Guinness. Four pints at a time. Le Hinch or Port Marina? Not for me. I'd be on my <laughs> back. If the, uh, Le Hinch. Good man. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? Win the Open. Drive it like Dustin or drive it like Zach Johnson at Portrush, of course. Dustin or Zach Johnson? Dustin Johnson, all day. Instagram or Twitter? Fun being in the fairway. Instagram. <laughs> Good man. Play or practice? Play. 
Good man yourself, Chris. Thank you very much. We are definitely keeping uh, akin to your story. Um, and thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Really enjoyed it. And best of luck. That was Chris Selfridge on this week's podcast. Thank you all for pressing play. Please do share with your family and friends. Check out the golf house. Check out pellygolf.com. Loads of things to do for you to keep ourselves busy in this time of isolation. Stay safe. Stay home. Stay Save lives. That's what we're all trying to do. Until we heat up again next time, I'm Paddy. Paddy.